Welcome to the Order Up Show, the operations management podcast presented by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. The Ops Analytica platform will make your managers better at their jobs. Not just your upper managers. I'm talking from that first time shift leader at one of your locations all the way up to your CEO. They will all be better at their jobs if they use the Ops Analytica platform. That's a pretty bold claim, Tommy. How are you going to back it up? Here's the deal. The reason they get better is because they know exactly what they need to do to be effective. The data tells them where your issues are, what you need to focus on at every level of the organization. So you can be more effective, you can make better decisions, and you can make them faster. And by the way, you'll like your job a little bit more too because you'll actually see progress, right? You won't be floundering out there trying to figure stuff out. You'll just simply look at the data, identify the issue, get it done, cross it off your list, and move to the next one. Ops Analytica is the only true operations management platform that can be utilized at the store level all the way through corporate to make running your multi-location business better. I invite you to come and call me a liar. Get on a demo at opsanalytica.com, but I will show you the truth. This is Tommy. Take care. What up, Order Up Show? I am back. It's me, Tommy, and I've got another great interview. Please welcome to the show, Michael Tinksayer. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing very well, Tommy, and thank you for having me on your, your great show. Oh, boy. Yeah, you are absolutely right. It is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Thank you very much for coming on. So, Michael, uh, we do the same five questions to every guest. And yeah. um, the first one's my favorite, so let's just go to that. Explain what you do today, Michael, but then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. Great. So today I'm uh, the founder of a business called Hospitality uh, Mavericks, and uh, we originally actually came out of a, of a consultancy business. Today we operate a bit more like a think tank for hospitality. So we do podcasting, we do research projects, we do Audio learning is one of the newest things we, we started doing with actually with operators that wants to use their, you know, their existing learning and actually putting on audio. It's a bit like an internal podcast. It's a very new thing we just have launched with a very progressive uh, pizza chain here, here, in the, here in the UK. And we, we're still looking forward to see what the results is to come out of that because like, we're not inventing any new. We are just delivering in a, in a different way. Um, and of course, we the, what we're trying to do here at Hospitality Mavericks is not just finding the cookie cutter way. We're actually trying to get people around the table and sharing that knowledge of operators that make sound business results, but also make positive impact on people, community, and the planet. They actually dare to be different. They think differently about their businesses, and that's why they perform well out, in and out, any year, any storm, they come out of it and continues. 
Um, so, and then, you know, you want, you asked me a bit about where does this all start? It actually started with me working very, very early on because I'm born and raised in the Danish hospitality family by the German border. My mom and dad ran restaurants and my dad had a real estate business as well. Uh, from early age on, I was working in my mom and dad's business or in the business. Actually, you know, after, three months after I was born, I was with my mom in the business. <laughs> Uh, and when she was cleaning it in the morning because it was a small business and my mom couldn't stay away a long time from the business. Um, so I started working my mom business, grew up there and got myself a little sausage trailer on a very young age. I think it was about 13, 12 years of running my own little sausage trailer with my own little, my dad had created a little paper P&L. Very quickly I was in business and if I made a profit, I could go and buy things. So buy myself a stereo or whatever, a new bike or whatever I want. If I didn't make any profit, yeah, I had to figure out working extra hours. And my dad said, so I always made profit and make sure I made profit one or the other way. And then when I was 15 years old, my mom needed to sell off some of the businesses because of health reasons. And um, I didn't know that at that point. But one day she came and said, Michael, it's time for you not to be in the family business. I was really frustrated with that. But don't worry, Michael, I found a job for you. I talked to Paul, he's going to open McDonald's. And I didn't really know what McDonald's was. We're talking the 90s here. It's like McDonald's was just scaling up in... In Denmark, so it's not a long time ago the McDonald's really moved fast globally, but I was in that period. Um, so so I went, you know, to this interview and I got the job. And a couple of weeks after, I was starting my training in McDonald's in a new opening restaurant. I started cleaning the loos and ending up running shifts, and then eventually went on to to run restaurants and then spending more than eleven years in McDonald's, where I both worked in head office and HR operation, uh, people, tech, both in Denmark and also in the UK. And I worked with afterwards in a more entrepreneurial setting where it was a, a cafe chain where we took uh, organic coffee and the whole coffee revolution in the early 2000 from three units up to more than 20 units and uh, learned, you know, that, you know, coming from McDonald's into a more entrepreneurial environment is actually quite challenging because you have all the recipes and all your checklists in McDonald's. But you don't have that in internal business. I actually had to build that uh, from the back of that. And then I did consultancy where, you know, Hospitality Mavericks was the outcome of that journey, working with operators across, you know, uh, UK, you know, Europe, Scandinavia and Eastern Europe of how actually to scale their businesses and often operation and people focused projects. Wow. So the one thing I've been like obsessing on is this internal training podcast. That's what is that what you said you were doing an internal training yeah. podcast. In principle, it's an internal podcast about how you can actually use audio to actually leverage knowledge you already have. You probably already have some values, but they died in a draw because they were in a presentation, or they died in the face-to-face -face onboarding. So actually, what we did here, like diving down to detail, is actually we activated you know leaders of the business, but also employees in the business to talk about the values the the vision and actually they told their understanding of it and, and and it's an amazing when you listen to these employees about how they understand and lift their values it makes other people really understand why we're doing things as we're doing them in the business and uh, and i i believe it will give them a, a a huge lift and then they can go in and talk a bit about you know their products you know the the provenance there's so many things you can doing an audio format where you really can get your operation and your standards up to the next level because it's not going on a laptop, it's not going on a phone, it's actually listening. And we are consuming more and more things through audio. And in general hospitality, we are not 
academics, you know, some of us maybe like myself have spent some time studying, but in principle, we actually like to be on the move and doing things and changing things. And that's what audio can enable in a way. Well, and you know, that's interesting because I have been very, so I feel like most employees are hardwired to think that anything that corporate says is BS. <laughs> and maybe, I, I, maybe I'm imposing my own like standard on things, but like, you know, I worked at a, a big um, PF Chang's. I don't know if you have those over in, in London, but uh, or in England, but um, it was a big corporate chain in the early 2000s. Was one of the hot restaurant chains in the country with crazy weights, and and they really were trying to be different, right? And they were trying to do all the cool things, and you know, and they were so big on their culture and everything. And we spent so much time. I was a trainer for them. We would spend like days of training just going over culture and all these things. But then I always got like so frustrated with that because our GM was a real jerk. And so you have like bad managers and then corporates telling you how we're, we take care of everybody and everything's great and we really value the employee. And then your real life experience is a jerk as a manager. And so then you go, well, if then if they were willing to hire this jerk to then be a jerk to me, then this is all BS, right? And I've always felt like culture training is a very touchy thing if you're not living the culture very well because then you just kind of program people to go well if that's bs well then you almost feel like jilted and then you end up acting worse and then you look you, you can justify bad behavior because they said they were going to do this and they're not doing it and you know um and so i've always been very weary of culture training the other thing is is that because of turnover being so high i don't feel like you can even waste the day doing culture training anymore um because you know that's just one more day that they have to work that you get an roi on this person and if people were leaving in 45 50 days in some of these jobs on average that you know that those hours you want them back so i've always felt like culture should be delivered at pre-shift meetings by managers one-to-one -one. that that's sort of in my like that's where you do your culture training is when you have that pre-shift meeting and you go over the right way to handle something. And this is why we allow you to comp food or whatever it is. Um, but I love this idea. Like, I love this idea of what, what an efficient way to, you know, allow people to learn to, to impart that culture training in a way that might really resonate with somebody. And you could do it while they're maybe even multitasking, you know? Hey, I want you to go do your silverware roll-ups, but hey, I want you to just listen to this podcast for 10 minutes while you're doing it. So now you're not as bored doing silverware roll-ups, but you're learning from the CEO why he started the company, you know what I mean, or whatever. Yeah, so there is an element of what the founders are telling, but also the really interesting thing was we took a bottom-up of this because actually in principle, it was the employees, yeah. the people they know they work with talks about how do I understand this value and how does I display it and why do I think it's important? Because then suddenly culture training becomes why we do things and how we do things around here. And then actually every start, everybody's a bottom-up process because people start, the best word I have found for this yet is still like policing each other in a positive way with yeah. positive intent. And thereby managers that you talk about probably they're probably not because they already they dare to do this so bad managers there's probably not many of them but again they in a way there is some kind of self-regulation happening in the organization from the bottom up and then and then it could also be there's this guy he's just brilliant at making cocktails 
you'll talk about the power of making a great high standard cocktail oh, to a customer and what kind of experience. So therefore, actually, it's not about what corporate does, it's what the employees do in the everyday. And that's the training and the knowledge transfer that happens suddenly. And that creates culture then in the end. Because all yes. the things you do in the day to day is what great culture. Well, because culture has to be lived. It can't be talked about. You know, talking yeah. about culture is like talking about communism. Like, you know, like in theory, Marge, communism works like from the Simpsons, right? But like, you you know, you, you know, in communist countries, they they top down talk to you about culture. But like, this is such a better way. And the reality is, is that I I'm visualizing this in my head. You can totally hear somebody like a busser or a waiter going, yeah. And we had a bad manager for a while and it sucked. But, you know, it was really cool was that, you know, they realized the guy wasn't that great of a fit and they got rid of him. Like, yeah. you know, because like it, it's never going to be perfect. Right. Like, and, and, you know, and that's also what happens when you have a top down discussion is top down discussion is 100 percent theory. 100 percent. It's going to be perfect. The reality is, is it's never perfect, but what we're trying to get is something that's closer to perfect than not. Um, but when it comes from the bottom up and you can explain, yeah, like, like that's why I love working here. Like I love the food or I love taking care of these guests or I love my teammates, you know, we have a family and we all go to the bar afterwards. Like those are the things that are going to get people like, yeah, they, they can hear it from their peers. Right. And it's a great way to, to give people a little bit of recognition too. Like what a great way to give some people some job satisfaction. You're doing such a great job, Michael. I want you to record a five minute thing about, I want you to answer this question. I want to record it. And I want to give it to everyone in the chain to listen to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're doing such a kick-ass job. Like that makes you feel like you're part of a team. You know what I mean? You know, it's very scalable training as well. It doesn't mean camera settings, doesn't mean, you know, you can do, you do it very raw. And then of course you, you will add your music on and you'll maybe, yeah. as go. so what we're doing here is that there's like the question that is asked and there's the recording with the employee. And then we ask some reflection question afterward that makes people think about their own behavior to that value or that operational standard. And that's where it becomes powerful. It becomes yeah. they become learning at that point. And exactly they're doing this because they have a pursuit to mastery. They want to be the best of the best. They have like yeah. this internal thing. And the only way they can do that is use the people to do it day in and day out, the different roles in the business. Now, I, I'm just so, I hope people who are listening to this are stealing this idea. <laughs> it, will make, it will make the industry better. That That's my hope. So uh, hopefully that's what it's going to do. Well, I, or you need to contact Michael because this is like, I, you know, you've been in this industry. I've been in this industry. I'm, I just turned 50 last week. So I've been in this industry for 36 years. But that's one of the most interesting ideas I've heard in the last five. I'm just like, I love it. I'm absolutely enthralled. Because it's interesting because on this podcast, I've been asking people a sixth question. What's the number one factor for a successful hospitality company? And by when I do ask it, and like, I'll ask you later, but I'm going to ruin your answer potentially. Everyone has said culture, right? Yeah, They've all I would said have said the same. Yeah, it's always culture, right? But then culture is like, it's like when you talk to people about dieting and they're just like, hey, you should just like, you know, I think the big thing, Tommy, is that people underestimate what it takes to build great culture. So 
the example I'm talking about here, there's already a great culture. They're just taking it to the next level. It's a bit like the Chicago Bulls. Everybody was laughing at them in the beginning. Then they yeah. got Phil Jackson got the fundamental in place. He got the dynamics in place in the team. And suddenly they were just building on that culture and he went introducing new things all the time. And the, the reason why it worked for him, if you're really analyzing that, and I know sporting worlds, we all can, in a way, and Chicago Bulls, we can all understand that incredible journey. You go and watch it on Netflix. Is that actually what he started out with was actually creating a vision together with the team. Maybe not everybody was on that vision in the beginning, and they also left the team at some point, but they had a very clear direction. That clear vision and purpose was then translated in, this is how we behave around here. This is our belief. This is our value. This is our principle. Call with your and these then became living them every day in the training, in the bus, on the plane, in the hotel, became the culture. But you yep. need to do this work together with your team because a lot of, you know, vision, mission, purpose, values, beliefs is developed by a senior team on a workshop day away when the staff is not involved. And you have a business in the U.S. in Michigan called Singermans, and they are experts in this. This is what they've done. They've been around now for 40 years, top performing hospitality business. They have about 500 to 700 employees. They and they do visioning as a starting point. They involve as many as the, the, the business partners and employees in doing this because they understand if you involve people in the beginning of these things, you will start to create culture. But you have to spend time on it and you have to be patient with it. You can't just do a workshop and then it's fixed. Well, and two, I think with culture, just if, if you're trying, trying to create a culture in a business, which I agree with everything you said, by the way, um, also too, is it, it requires discipline, right? Yeah. Like it requires discipline in all business activities, but I would say probably most importantly, it requires discipline in hiring. And so, because you can bring in the wrong guy and the wrong guy can poison the culture in one unit. Right. And then, and then you, you you took 50 people that were believers and now you've got 50 disbelievers because you didn't, you messed up. And so really understanding that cultural fit and how it works and, and not just taking the first warm body off the street when you're desperate to put a body into the breach, if you will, so you can just keep moving forward, but actually taking your time and, and finding those right people because, you know, when you get the right, it's a whole, uh, is it Collins? Is it Collins, right? Jim Collins, the right people on the right bus, the right people on the bus and the right seat, right? You got to yeah. have the right people. And in, if you, you, you know, we've been so understaffed for so long, people are so tired, but you got to stop and go, wait, yeah, this guy's available to work tomorrow, but is he really the right guy? Maybe we should interview him a couple more times, make sure he fits in, make sure he can hang out, you know? It's such yeah, an embarrassing to this whole thing yeah and I, I think also of course there's also always reality and also it's not like you you do your your values and you implement it into your hiring you have to work on it constantly and i think i interviewed ari from from singerman's the other day and he said uh, probably butchering in a way but he said it's like that it's, it's a fluent thing it's like an ecosystem you have to keep on working you're never done it's not you can't finalize it, but you can build system that supports and the standards within your culture all the time. So they are very much into systems and and checklists. I know how much you love checklists and I love checklists. Yeah. So they're actually using system to support the culture. 
and they don't see it as a negative thing structure because lots of people think that culture is actually this fluffy thing it's actually a complex thing and that's why you need structure and systems but you don't spend the time on creating the training and the systems and checklists you're not going to get achieve that culture and be able to maintain it when times get difficult because you have no you have no tools for it and then, yeah. then it slides at some point you know well it's funny because i was like thinking about that. well so first of all we know ari ari weisenwig yeah right? yeah he was on the platform in like 2016 maybe i think he has that barn and like uh yeah. he's got that wedding venue and he actually they might still be on i have to go look but we know ari so that's hilarious it's such a small world right that's such a small world that you that you're bringing him up because we talked to him literally in 2016 i think um yeah so that's funny uh okay so like in the sats which is the test people take for college it would be like uh uh tactics um are to strategy like systems are to culture that would be like the analogy i would draw because yeah. you know you have your strategy but then you have your tactics that get you there and then you have your culture but you need systems to support the culture like so one of the big things at pf chang's when i worked there was you know if people hadn't had the lettuce wraps which is like a, a an appetizer um your job as if they were new to the chain or they had never had the lettuce wraps as a waiter you could buy them the lettuce wraps because they for many reasons one it was our signature appetizer two the food cost was like less than 40 cents an order and they knew that if you gave away the first order of lettuce wraps that every time those people came back a they'd be blown away that they got a free appetizer but b they would buy the lettuce wraps and we would make a fortune like the stores yeah. that sold the most lettuce wraps had the highest profitability because you're looking at a seven dollar item for 40 cents i mean it was like a, you know ridiculous um but uh but the thing was like so that was culturally what we talked about you can go buy people lettuce wraps but then you could actually go do it because you could just go up to your manager and go hey i need you to comp the lettuce wraps to that table and they'd be like absolutely and they'd walk over to the register and they'd comp it for you and so there was a system in place to support that cultural thing in our business and that's where people get so frustrated with companies is when they talk a big game but then when they try to execute on delivering that level of service or whatever it might be, there's no system in place to actually execute that. And so that once again, it goes back, if you're gonna be cultural, you gotta have discipline. And part of that discipline is putting, putting your money where your mouth is and building people the systems to allow them to then deliver your culture to your customer, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting you say that also did you said that you know if you ask a guest on your new show to say and, and you will probably say the same you said it's culture but it's understanding the the how you build culture and actually we we did a survey and we're doing one in the they call agile hospitality we do it again a year but there's an interesting finding there because everybody was struggling with staff and stuff staff or lack of staff is connected to culture and i know there's some external factors in play here i'm not down playing them in any kind of way and respect it that the challenges this in the industry i had a catering business myself during the pandemic would be closed i understand totally the challenges here but the thing is that you have to understand that you know the, the challenges around culture also comes from you know if you don't invest in this and the interesting thing coming back to that survey agile was that 71 percent last year didn't have a strategy or roadmap for how they wanted to improve their people 
practices in their business. So in principle, people practices and operation practices create cultures and synergy together. But you don't have a plan. You don't have a strategic plan for this. Even though I know it's chaos and you're just reacting, but maybe that's where you need to step back actually starting thinking about, I'm not talking about long complex workshops around actually starting actually, okay, do we need to look at our hiring process? Do we need to look at our, you know, the benefits and so on. And everybody jumped on benefits and thought that was the solution. You can't throw money at the problem because it's much more complex. But that plan should actually have been in place way before the problem. So always were there because the operator that had a plan or people plan or people strategy actually had less challenges. They had challenges, but they have come through it. And now they are the winners. Um, yeah. And again, it comes back to, to to focus and priorities because I think a lot of business. I think we talked about that when you were a guest on my show as well. That mm -hmm. lots of operators are focusing on the growth, the, the sales. Yeah. Uh, sales. But great, yeah. But great is great is uh, better than bigger. So what I mean with bigger, more sales doesn't mean you're great at doing some. And I think it's very, very important that actually some of the best companies, because I'm obsessed at looking what the best of the best are doing in hospitality and outside hospitality There's a great book called good to great i'm a very big fan of i implemented very early on in my career in my business and my life is that actually focusing on the small things how do we make it better for employees how do we make it better for our customers how do we make better operation how do we continuously improve our businesses because and how do we say no to opportunities because not all opportunities are good for the business that new location might not be good for the business because we are not ready we are not ready as a culture we're not ready as an operation we don't have the capacity to deal with that now and i think danny Maya maya said something i'm maybe going to butcher it a bit but he said i made more money by choosing the right things to say no to than by choosing things to say yes to i'm measured by the money i have lost and the quality I haven't sacrificed. And that's very interesting from one of the most successful hospitality entrepreneurs in the world, I would say, in newer times after Ray Kroc. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, it's really interesting because, once again, it goes back to discipline, right? But two, you know, everybody wants to focus on top-line sales because, you know, because marketing's sexy and there's all these marketing softwares and you can run ads and people will see your ads and all this stuff. Right. But the reality is, is that if you are relentlessly focused on operations, the sales are the byproduct of that. Marketing is artificially driving sales into your business because you're, 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 you're enticing people to come in. But if you just, and obviously I'm not saying marketing is bad, but like if you just run, like, have you ever, you know, every town has got that great Italian restaurant that I don't care for the last 25 years, every day is on a wait. You know what I mean? These guys are never not on a wait, right? Then they have great service, great food, great ambiance, great wine. You have an amazing meal consistently every time. Every town's got that restaurant. Those guys don't do, they don't do a thousand, you know, they don't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars marketing. They just deliver amazing food and service every time you come in. And if you focus on being great operators, you will increase the amount of word of mouth advertising and you will get more return visits. Whether that's once a year, maybe it goes once every 11 months, or maybe that's once a week, right? Just depending on your price point and what kind of uh, plan you offer. But 
like focus on ops and the sales will come and they'll stay sustained over a longer period of time, right? Anybody can BOGO and get a bunch of people in for one highly discounted interaction, but it's the guy who doesn't have to BOGO because he's just great every day. That's what you want to be, you know? Yeah, and, and it comes back to, again, the uh, I often talk about the 1% better every day. So if you improve yeah. 1% every day in what you do, you become 1% better at serving your customer, you become 1% better at uh, uh, getting food through the kitchen, the, the quality of your product comes out 1% better on the, the table. And if you improve, focus on that in your operation, then over a year, you actually become 37 times better. It's statistically proven. But again, that demands discipline and focusing yeah. on small things and small habits in the day-to-day -day life and not about a one-shot wonder campaign yeah. on sales. And, I, and I'm not saying it's not important. Of course it's important, but you shouldn't drive sales in before your operation or your capacity, as we talked about in, a, in another conversation we had, is ready because there's so much, you know, you put pressure on the operation and that's where it starts to fall apart. That's where people start to leave you and uh, people like to be busy, but they don't like to be overwhelmed and don't yeah, have the tools exactly. to execute on the job. Absolutely. And it, it is, we are a details business. There's no way around it, man. Like there's just a lot of things going on and they're all little and they all matter. And it's the guys that can effortlessly, not effortlessly, but the guys that just have the systems in place to build and have the discipline and have like trained their brains so that they come in going, we're going to focus on the details. We're going to be detail oriented. That's where we get our joy. That's where the challenge comes in. That's where it gets interesting for us. That's where those guys are the guys that are the most successful, you know? Every time. It's crazy. Okay. So that was question number one. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a good one. So we have four more to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, 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 how much time have we done already? Oh, wow. No. Um, actually, was it 1125? Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, and I think you, we alluded a bit to the the the, uh, the audio learning, and then I I'm involved in a, in another business where we're trying to launch. Uh, we 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 took the uh, the uh, what do you call it? We we took uh, we took the the phoenix out of the ashes after the pandemic from a catering business now, and we're launching it as a repackage into a retail product. Uh, oh, cool. And that's been a super in interesting journey. About you know you have sometimes to pivot and what you learn from uh you know adversity and, and how how you manage that so so yeah so that's that's the next big big thing uh and besides you know and then you know keep on improving the uh the podcast and the, the show i run there we you know all the time there's continuous improvement you know so so that's that's like the focus in the moment that's wonderful um how are you enjoying the podcasting I think you're going to be like, I don't even know what episode you're going to be. You're almost going to be my hundredth episode. I'm really, how do you like it? I think it's, um, the funny thing is that when you, when I started podcasting, my, my initial thought was I will do 10 of these. <laughs> and, uh, because a friend of mine said, this is a great way for you to, because you're very focused on what you can give back to the industry and how you can make it better. You meet all these great people anyway. How could you share those coffee meetings? 
and uh, and that was how it started. I thought nobody wanted to listen to this, and then you know I found out very quickly because it was back 2017 that there's something that works here, something that resonates with people. And um, what it really given me has been like my own, you know, MBA program in running business because you meet all these, you know, people like yourself that has some knowledge and some insights, some experience, and you have a structured conversation about how you make a better business. Uh, so much, you know, personally, I gained from that. So I, I don't have like a timeline anymore. It became, you know, a habit. It's part of my life. I couldn't see it was not there. And and it actually, it's like really fulfilling because there's lots of people that come back and say how much they got out of listening to the show or the idea that one thing they took from that episode and they implemented in their business. And especially smaller business owners that don't have access to, you know, these kind of people that can't get their time. It's really, really helped them. So, so it becomes quite, a, you know, quite a, I think it's a, it's a platform for me to, to help people, but also maybe get some very important messages out to the industry that, you know, uh, change has to happen and, and, and we need to look at things differently. And I want to build an industry that everybody talks about, oh, wow, great, you should go and work in hospitality because it's an industry that creates all these opportunities for you and you will actually be able to take these transferable skills and go and get any job you want because that's actually the reality of the industry, not the reality the media or the politicians have of this industry. And that's what we're up against. And, and that's why I ne we need to continue with podcasts. So it's, it's a very given uh, a medium. Of course, it takes some time, like anything else. But it's probably I've learned more through the podcasting the last three years than any education, any MBA courses, any kind of leadership courses I've had by doing this. So like personally, it's a really giving thing. And I also know it gives a lot of people other things. And in principle, that's what is important. It helps other people because then it gives me a lot. Yeah, and I would agree with everything you said. And I also say it's just fun. Like these yeah. are the best conversations. Like, like I enjoy these conversations so much because it's like I'm I'm talking with people that if I like met you at a conference or something, we would be at the bar having the same conversation, right? Afterwards. Yeah. But I'm getting to do it like every day with these genius people who have such a passion for what they do. And, and I would agree too, that I feel like the hospitality industry really what well, we need to get better and become a better place to work. And then we got to do a good job of marketing. What a great place we are to work yeah. because we truly are a great place to work. Is it different? Is it, it's like being in a hospital, you know, yeah, you're going to like, if you're a nurse, you're going to pick up some puke, you're going to see some gross stuff. It's, it's almost like being in a restaurant too. It's kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? But like, it's a culture and it's a great life and you and it's one of the few industries uh, that you don't have to have 50 degrees in to make a lot of money in you just got to yeah. be a good people manager and be able to run some numbers you know so it, it truly there's a true opportunity here for somebody who doesn't have the big you know degrees and, and all the money and all the time to go to college you can still come into this business and make a great living and have a great time doing it yeah, and then the interesting thing is that I probably wouldn't do what I do today if I hadn't had my journey in the industry. I've learned so much, you know. My journey in McDonald's is probably one of the things that's really been the backbone of my, my career and still is. I still go back and pick up those tools I learned when I was 19 years old as a shift manager and use them 
in you know dealing especially with people you know communication teamwork you can always become better it's like an ongoing thing but you had that foundation in place you can then work on and you can progress from that and you can always go back to that a bit like skiing if you are leaning yeah. backwards a bit too much you remind yourself when you start to wriggle on the on the on the piece exactly you actually need on the slopes you actually need to get forward into the boots again to get the balance and the same with like your foundations in a way and i think that's many hospitality because not only mcdonald's can actually learn these basic skills people can come back to all the time and they will have like a positive association and that's we need to tell those stories but also we need to make sure we deliver on that when people come into the industry absolutely absolutely um Okay, number three. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? In the industry, it's probably what we just talked about because I'm very concerned uh, if we can't become an employer of choice as an industry, where will we then be um, uh, in 10 years' time? Um, so we have a big problem to solve here. Uh, but then personally, what keeps me up at night is probably the much bigger thing. It's about the, uh, the future, you know, how we, what, what kind of things are we doing in business today? I actually make sure that both humanity and the planet will survive. And I think we can play a huge role in, in the restaurant or food industry in general, because of food has such a huge impact on, on the planet. So that definitely keep me awake. And I don't have the answers, but I know we need as a leader or a business owner, I need to be part of that solution. I need to build businesses that has an, an impact on that and trying to make small improvements as we talk about the 1% all the time, because it's not about, there's not one thing that's going to solve this, but it's all, it's lots of human behavior in, in, in the right direction that's going to, help us with these things, climate change or, you know, uh, you know, people that is uh, feeling it difficult to actually just getting their foot in the door in society and have a chance and, you know, disparity between rich and poor and all these things. And I think food can really get people together. So I actually see food and the hospitality industry has a, has a huge opportunity as well to be part of that. So we actually can start talking again, because I also think lots of the problems while going into politics is that we are so standing in two different positions and we're not meeting each other and actually trying to solve the big problems we have in the world. Well, you know, it's interesting too, is that like so many immigrants, like in both my grandfathers were immigrants and both were restaurateurs. Um, so many immigrants, restaurants were their way into business ownership with the, their foothold in the, in the country. You know, they couldn't get a job because they didn't speak English. The only thing they could do was go and open up a cafe or a restaurant and try to service the people from their country and eventually branch out to other people, you know, like it, that's just, that was how they expressed their culture and also made a living for their families. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. a, and we've always been that industry. I mean, that's why you have Italian restaurants and you have, you know, all these different like ethnicity restaurants in countries like England and America, because the immigrants came in and said, Hey, I'm bringing my village's way of making this thing here, you know? It's crazy. And well, I do I think, think based. Oh, sorry, go on. I cut you off. Yeah, no, but I also think that's really important to come back to that because that's again, you know, do things really well. Because these restaurants you talk about and, and that history was that the people really cared and there was really love for the food, for the people, for the local community. You were dealing with a local farmer. I'm not saying we can't go back in time. We just need to find 
solutions where we remember these things and the love for these things because that's where you know food really because that's why hospitality is exciting is that care yeah. for for food and, and people yep and i do think too we we could play a really big role in waste so much packaging you know that so much needlessly wasted packaging comes to the restaurants i mean if you've ever worked in like a busy bar on a weekend you know just like trash can full of trash can full of trash can a bottle of beer you know that literally that bottle's lifespan was probably six weeks you know from creation to being in the in the trash there's just so many things we could do you know that we could really impact the planet just by really getting smart with waste you know and packaging so yeah no, that's just that's, that's one thing you know and I yeah think just that's one thing yeah and I think I think we can do a lot in the industry just going back and looking at what the principle you talk about here is what I call the supply chain. It's not like we need to offset things. We can just go and make better choices in our supply chains and making yep. sure that, of course, we pay our people the salary they deserve and living wage and so on. And we start to fix these things. We are part of the change. It doesn't have to be a big PR stunt. It's the small things you do. I uh interviewed uh david dressler from uh, tender greens one of the co-founders of tender greens in the in the u.s successful casual dining chain and he talked about these small things they did in society and the rings they created of change yeah. in society helping people young people into better jobs you know picking litter up and and so on and did they did and they worked you know because also the people really respected them that actually the company took time for these things and actually they thereby created a retention effect and so on and so on. So I think it's not complicated to be part of this uh, problem. It's actually just going into your own supply chain, your own communities, and see the small things you can do about waste, use of electricity, power or gas. There's so much you can do uh, as an industry. But also we can actually bring the conversation to the table as well because people yeah. meet about around food and talk. So I was at the Colorado restaurant show uh, probably a month and a half ago, and these guys were selling a, a thawer, you know, it's a, a, a thawer. It was like a tub and it just recirculated warm water over frozen food because, you know, the number one thing that people fall food at when they're like under the gun, they throw in the sink, they turn hot water on and they just run the hot water for you know, two hours until this thing falls. And I mean, like just that alone, their little solution, it wasn't crazy. It's just a, a tub with a little, you just pour hot water in there and then it just, just circulated through and then you could dump out one bucket, fill it up again with hot water and you could just thaw food. And it's like, those are the kinds of like little easy solutions that if we just all implemented, but what's even easier is just planning ahead and putting the food in the refrigerator two days yeah. earlier. And guess what? It thaws magically yeah but also as again coming back to building better businesses because if we build great businesses that create sound results you will have a positive impact on people communities and the planet so it starts with really the big intent of winning the game and want to win the game and be like diligent about these small things as you say in your business that really the details that makes every day work because if you make that work and you actually start to have a different approach that there's no quick fixes it's all about progress then, yep. then you will have that impact I'm talking about keeping me awake. Yeah, well, and it's like I worked for a colonel and he had come up, he was a country club manager and he had come up through the US club, the USO clubs in the Air Force, right? Um, the officers clubs, sorry. 
Um, and he was always like, you know, when you actually plan ahead and take those prime ribs out of the freezer and you stick them in the walk-in, just they have a residual cooling effect in the walk-in, which means that the the machine, the, the cooling machine in the walk-in actually has to work just a little less hard. Like maybe it could be fractional, right? It could be fractional, but it works just a little bit less hard because there's now this giant mass of really cold stuff, you know, in your walk-in that's helping to cool the walk-in ancillarily. But that's how our industry works. We do the same little things millions and millions and millions of times a day across nations, right? And if you can get those little fractional gains, once again, it's not like it's not a massive, but it's just these tiny little gains. But you get a hundred of those in a hundred different ways, and all of a sudden you're you are creating an impact. You know what I mean? It's very interesting. Um, okay. What uh he asked that one. Okay, what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? I actually coming back to the research with it, I actually thought we would have, you know, uh, the learning of the, uh, the 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 great reset, the you know, staffing crisis has been called many things. We would actually really really have strategies and plan in place to make sure the foundation of the people experience really got nailed and i don't say everything starts with a plan but if we don't have a plan we're not all moving in the same direction and we're getting nowhere in my view so we're not really moving the needle and for the standard of doing it. so i'm a bit i'm not saying there is some great operators out there that are doing incredible things but i think in general we need to attend more time to that. We need to get out of crisis mode. We need to get the head out of the ground because I can still see a lot of firefighting. And I know it's hard because it's become a habit now that we're in firefighting mode. We need to get out of that and we need to start to put these foundation in place to actually build, you know, a great industry tomorrow, but also great businesses tomorrow. And that's how we're going to win. Um, and there's, an, there's, there's something around the people, but there's also something about technology because there's two things right now, I believe, that fuels the industry going forward. It's people and technology, and you need to get these two dynamics to work together. And if you achieve that internally, you will have a better chance than if you don't do any of these. So, Yeah, and, I, you know, I might not, under, I maybe I don't know what the National Restaurant Association does here in the US. I mean, I know what they do, like they have the big show and they provide, uh, you know, lobbying and stuff like that. But like, I really do feel like it's time for these big national associations to start getting, to start using some of these resources they're getting from all these restaurants and not just lobby for, you know, less penalties for restaurants on drunk driving laws and like, you know, fighting uh, stricter health inspections. Um, they need to start like looking at how do we, how, their, their job as an industry Titan is to come up and use a think tank and get the big brains together to sit down and start talking about this. And, you know, you know, like do some research. These are the 15 things that millennials want, right? So, and this is how, you know, this is how you, these are like 10 steps you can take to be a more, uh, work. Uh, you know, whatever, positive place to work, whatever it might be. Like, I feel like that that's what industry groups are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be doing research to help the operators, not just defend them in um, from the legislatures. You know what I mean? And I'd like to see the National Restaurant Association here in the U.S. and, and your counterparts over 
in England or, or Europe do the same thing, you know, tell us, do some research, figure it out for us, help us out. Because the reality is, is that as restaurants and multi-location businesses, we're at a massive disadvantage because we never get a weekend. You know, we get two days yeah. off a year, Christmas and New Year's, right? Or, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving, like, you know, you're open 363 days a year. So you don't have time oftentimes, especially if you're a smaller business, to sit back and ponder your navel about what you're going to do. You, you know, someone didn't show up today. So all my plans for doing extra stuff went out the window because I got to go figure out who's going to cover that guy's shift now. And that happens every single day to these guys. And so they need somebody to be doing some of this heavy lifting, you know, for them. Yeah. And I think you, it's quite interesting that um, we are so focusing on waiting for what the law dictate us to as an industry. Why it's be really interesting if we put some resources in actually being ahead of, you know, the legislation on all levels, but actually the legislation follow us instead. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing. We, we had a piece here in the UK around calorie labeling on food. There's already been retail for years, but there was like this massive resistance to put the, you know, really put calories on your menu. Uh, but people don't make decision about how many calories there's in a restaurant meal. That's not why. But actually yeah. being transparent, it was more important about actually starting working and lobbying that we actually, if we want people to fall in love, both working in industry and also the supporting industry, we need to be transparent. We need to show people that we are not scared of showing, showcasing what's behind the scene. And that's the reality we're up against now where we are waiting for legislation, for example. I think, you know, organizations should, you know, they should definitely protect the industry that, uh, that the politicians are making the right decision, the right and then many of them did a great job in making sure that came more money to support operators, especially here in the UK and in other counterparts of Europe, to actually make sure it could stay afloat in the pandemic. But actually, the real role now is that how do we actually build back better, and how do we actually create you know think tanks and you say to create different thinking and get some really smart people in the, in the room and maybe people from outside our industry that can really challenge us in the way we, we do things. Yeah, because it's not just benefits because benefits were a differentiator when like the chains had benefits, but no one else did. But now, you know, anybody can have benefits. You know what I mean? I was, I was talking to a guy and he just took a job yesterday, as a matter of fact. He, he's a CFO, he's gonna be a CFO consultant. And he was like so excited because he was getting like a 401k with like 4% match and really great health insurance. And then I, and we just as a company implemented a 401k and health insurance this year because we finally got big enough to kind of get it. And I was like, well, we have those benefits too. So like, but you're so excited about it, this big company, like we're able to do that too. So that's all available, right? So like, it, so like benefits aren't gonna be the thing. It's gonna be, it's going to be career opportunity and culture and what can I learn and how are you going to develop me as a person and what's my career path and what can I expect? And, you know, and also creating some work-life balance where, you know, as you move up and you get older that you have a, I don't want to say easier job, but like, you know, you, you know, you're not like, you know, slugging 50 pounds of fry oil that's burning hot and taking it to the back and, you know, just like what's your career path to make your life like a fulfilling life you know yeah those are the things that we got to be focusing on when i when i went to hotel restaurant school in the early 90s you know i remember like in the first class intro to hospitality the dean of the school was talking and he was like yeah 
restaurants are really making like huge efforts. Now the average person only works like 60 hours a week versus like in the seventies and eighties, it was 80 hours a week. So we're really, we're, we're dialing it in, you know, it's like, really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and by the way, too, just not to take over your whole podcast, but that, that's part of what the value of my platform is. And it's one of the biggest values. I think that we don't really ever talk about that much is that when you have a checklist platform and you have an operations management platform that's sort of directing the tasks of the employees throughout the day, it makes it easier for the manager to delegate. And, and it, that's actually one of the most successful, if you wanna be successful, like using our platform, delegating is probably one of the biggest things you can do because one of the main reasons why checklists don't get done by managers, especially the ones that are like right before the meal period begins, the right before the rush is because in the past, it's always fallen on the, the manager's shoulders that they have to do the whole thing. And they're the only one who has the knowledge to do it, right? No one else could possibly do this. You try to find, you give a guy an hour long checklist and say, hey, you're opening at 1130. So do it between 1030 and 1130. There's no way that guy can be successful doing that check. They'll never do it because they got people asking him for keys. Things are broken. People aren't coming. Yeah, you know, all the things that happen at a store. But if you could, if you can delegate that to your employees, you're investing in your employees education and also you, four people can do this one thing in 10 minutes, whereas it might take the manager 50 minutes to do it by themselves. You know what I mean? And so like you actually get the value of everybody checking everything off and it doesn't just fall on one guy's shoulders, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a big deal, but that's the kind of stuff that's going to keep someone in the industry versus them going, the whole world's on my shoulders. I can never be successful. And I'm working a million hours. Why am I doing this? You know, and that's what we've done. But also think of what you're saying there is also tech can help you do the heavy lifting and actually what it can do is help you build, you know, if you lean into it, actually create this bottom-up effect that people actually want to be responsible. They want to make decisions. They want to lead themselves. They don't yeah. want the manager to come and tell them. And actually that's the whole revolution. We want to go from this Christmas tree kind of uh, industrial leadership where you're told what to do and you're monitored and you're controlled from top to actually where no people trust me. I have a responsibility and I will do the job, but I need the tools to do it. I think that's where, you know, you need to break that thinking down from the top down to actually a bottom up. And that's yeah. where technology can actually facilitate that. If you lean into it, if you still try to do top management through technology, you will still get the same outcomes that's no change but this is actually opportunity to change that but that's also a cultural shift in your head and leadership mindset shift because we've all been trained including myself and then you need to control it from the top down yeah. but actually what we need to to actually create a more you know as you say that people as industry people want to come and work in is actually that bottom-up effect that they feel they're part of something that's bigger themselves they have autonomy to make decision and you said training and develop, they can actually achieve mastery. I've become a better version of myself. If that's, you know, life skills or it is work skills. Yeah. And, you know, I never really thought of it like how you positioned it, but like, it's like an epiphany moment, right? Because, you know, the reality is, is that we had to be top down because we didn't have visibility and accountability. That's why, that's why the industry is the way it is, because we had to back into what was happening and we had to focus on training and backing in to what was actually happening operationally because we had no visibility and accountability. So we couldn't trust 
people to do the right thing because if they weren't doing it, we wouldn't catch it for so long because we couldn't be in every location every day. But with software like mine, as an example, operations management software, where we can see what people are doing in real time across all our locations, we can now flip that and be a bottom up world where we are giving these tasks to people and we're able to digitally monitor them and then give them feedback and help them get better. And we can do that across our entire system. And now it's not just being yelled at to go clean this. It's, hey, your tasks are on the tablet. Can you go get them done by 11? If you have any problems, give me give me a shout. I'm going to be over here doing my tasks, you know, and let them be them. Because one of the big things, too, with millennials is that they hate repetitive process, which, I mean, our industry is all repetitive process. But, but what they also hate even more than that is feeling like they're doing something and that they're not going to get recognized for it and that the people aren't going to be looking at it and, and, and evaluating how they did it and giving them the feedback and a lot of praise. They need lots of praise. But like our platform facilitates that, right? Our platform facilitates you have a voice. We can crowdsource. You know, you have an ability to point out what's broken in a process that can get right to the CEO of the company and they can make a change, you know, and that's an important part of of creating that culture is that you take the answers and the suggestions from down below. You make the process change at the top. And then the most important part is you recognize the people down below that gave you that information. You say, if it wasn't for the team at this store right here, we wouldn't have even known this. So thank them so much, you know. For telling yeah, us, that's also a positive recognition, and it's known from you know uh, uh, the One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard, uh, <laughs> a leadership yeah. book every manager should should read in their very early in the career and keep on reading because keep on giving is one of those books. The interesting thing he says in that book is very simple: you need to keep you need to caught people when they do something good and positive, and you need to reinforce it there because then you get the culture of excellence. And actually often what we done in the old model was the top down was to court them when they got it wrong and it happened yes. on that tick box. Actually, if you, you know, use the restaurant or the people to do the certain behaviors you want to see, then you start to see that has an effect. It has a drip over effect on the rest of the business, but you need to reinforce positive behavior instead of when people don't do it. I'm not saying not to address problems, but actually you have to do maybe 90, 10 positive to negative feedback. Yeah, you you coach on the negative, but you say, thank you, great job. And you do that every day. Like that was my entire management personality when I ran when I ran teams was thank you so much. I really appreciate all the hard work you did. That that one 10 second investment will keep turnover lower, you know what I mean, than anything else you can do. That and occasionally, hey, I let me get you a lunch. You work so hard today. You're such a great employee. Let me just buy you a lunch. And you just spread that around and say thank you. And guess what? People stay. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't, some witchcraft. And they, and they will start looking at that person. What is that he is doing that I'm not doing? It happens unconscious with human yeah. beings because we, in principle, we don't get up in the morning not to become a better version. That's not how we start. I know some people have barriers that makes it harder for them, but we all want to be better or be in a better yeah. position. So we, we need to create the framework and the situation as that. Yeah. So we yeah. need to create the framework be... and the, the environment to for them to achieve that. That's our biggest job as leaders of business and teams. Yeah.
it's funny because we're just starting to hire more here and we're growing and it's like everything I've heard everyone complaining about for like the last 10 years, we're starting to experience. And I'm like, oh, that's why they've all been complaining about it. <laughs> just okay, so we're here to question number five, war story time. Give me a hilarious war story. And what I'm looking for is something that's cringeworthy or funny, or I can't believe we got through it. Could be it from any point in your career. Just one of those, uh, you know, goofball stories. Um, it's quite a, you know, it's a, it's a learning, you know, and I, I talk about it a lot because I made a, a huge mistake um, at some point in my career. I was running restaurants. We were running a cafe chain. I already mentioned that in the beginning, and we were doing quite well. It was lots of success, lots of opportunity. It comes back to the growth challenge again. Um, and uh, suddenly, uh, our performance operational was dropping across the whole chain, and it was dropping because uh, the good people we got in the in the positioning were either failing, feeling we were not there because we we're more focusing on opening than being in there and actually the big learning was actually the, the people you need to you need to actually you know you need to spend time with people for them to enjoy being with you so if you're a small business or a leader you need to think about you know the learning here and, and it was it was it was in it was not very fun when it was happening because we were having you know opening all these places but all our good people was leaving us and we got some of them back after a bit of, but actually the learning was that we actually had to close again some some businesses. So my biggest learning and what I always say, my biggest slap and all my, my wrist was actually growing too fast. And actually maybe restaurants, I had to acknowledge them very early on in my 20, late 20s that maybe very few restaurants are built for massive scale. And that's actually okay. And I think that was like, you know, the war story of that was that the pain of you spent five, seven years building up this great culture and this great business, and we're losing it because we said yes to growth that we actually didn't need. We didn't need it, but we thought we should because that's what everybody expected of us. And then we went that's back and then the profitability came back because it's not about growth, it's about profit in the end of the day. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the, that's the problem with the Silicon Valley VC private equity exactly. stock market driven. If you're not growing, then nobody wants to talk to you. And it, and it, at some point, it used to be I'm going to have this one restaurant and I'm going to just run it amazingly. And with all that growth comes all these extra headaches and pain. And and you know, it's funny because me and my business partner sometimes we talk and we're like. Do we even really like we could have the best lives ever if we just stopped growing today? You know, we can make so much more money um, and, you know, in the short term and just have a really easy lives for till we retired. But, you know, you know, we've gone the other way. We said we're going to grow, you know, and as a tech company, tech is scalable. So it's imperative that we do grow. But I totally get what you're saying. And it goes back to, you know, yeah, we're always told bigger is better. You got to have more, got to have more. Yeah. But, you know, oftentimes most restaurants fail when they go from one to two. Both yeah. go under because they weren't capable of managing one to two because that's not a skill set that a lot of these guys have, you know. Um, and then you have the two to four, the four to 12, yeah. 12 to 24, yep. the 24 to the 56, I think the, the algorithm is saying, and then you say 100 and then blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, and it and and it's such a it, it, it you really have to think about these things because maybe that's not 
what you what is set out to do. And I think, you know, Ari and uh, Singerman's again, a great example of that you actually can build a very good business over 40 years uh, if you think in that kind of way. So that was like one of my, my biggest learning. But I also think that the, the key learning here is that when you are in such a complex challenge as growing a business very fast from three units to 27, you can almost not develop as the leader of the business, all the leaders of the business fast enough to catch up with that. So you're yeah. unrealistic about your own abilities and thereby you drown and your people can, they don't say to you, you're drowning. They say, oh, I'm not going to be on this ship with this guy because he, look at him, man, he's drowning. <laughs> so yeah. let me get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's a great war story. Well, so Michael, I'll put down all your pertinent stuff. I'll put down um, the link to the podcast, to the think tank, to everything yeah. you're doing. Can people get that study for free, the research project that you guys did for free, the, the employer study? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, if you go to the uh, to the website, there's a, a little form that can download it from there. Perfect. Awesome. So we'll make sure we put a link to that because I really want to get a hold of that study as well. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, Tommy, and having me on, on your show. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Thank you guys for listening and we'll have more interviews soon.